sounds borderline cultish with this much fervent belief in the powers of the toad. <laughs> Don't lick the toad. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Humanist Agenda Podcast. My name is Kenny. I'm Sherry. And I'm Rory. It's our 46th episode, and how's everyone doing? Good, good. Doing quite well, I'd say. We have uh, one out of three people on the call that now have the vaccine. I'm feeling a little microchipped <laughs> <now>. Congrats. <laughs> how's your 5G signal? Stronger? <laughs> yeah, a little bit stronger, actually. Yeah, I highly recommend it. <laughs> Yep. And I recently found out that uh, Sherry and I are part of a uh, COVID antibody study. So mm-hmm. that's kind of oh, cool. You are. Yeah, yeah, that's really neat. I'm doing it for the teachers. Uh, they're looking at stress and uh, antibody. So I did my little finger uh, poke um, the night before my vaccine, my first vaccine, uh, which was just last week. Yay. Um, I'm feeling like I got superpowers and I'm sure that will show up in my blood work. Uh, but it was really <laughs> tough to do the blood thing, which is, I know what you expressed on, uh, Facebook, Kenny, was that you, yeah. you, or I expressed it and then you agreed with me. And then we found out that your lancet was even bigger than mine. So I don't even know. Blood was just gushing <laughs> yeah. out of my finger. And so my blood cart or my yeah. card that I'm supposed to put these blood dots on is a mess. <laughs> It's like a crime scene. <laughs> yeah, we should highlight the uh, the process. The process is yes. um, you have this blood lancet, which is basically a needle that you press against your skin and or your fingertip, and when it clicks, it like just jabs the needle into you, and then you're supposed to you know collect blood drops on this piece of paper, and this piece of paper will be sent into lab. They're gonna uh, measure the antibodies um, in your blood. So for me, I learned today that uh, my blood lancet wasn't a needle. It was actually a blade. <laughs> There's a blade at the end of it, uh, which is... Uh, so my, my lancet was definitely a, a high-flow blood draw kind of a lancet. And Cherry, yours was low flow? Mine was the lowest one. And yet, I don't know. I followed their instructions where you're supposed to massage your hand to get the blood yep. to start flowing. And they were like wait until you've got a big droplet and it'll take a while. And then all of a sudden, all this blood was coming. And so it did <laughs> not Sherry take a long time. Then bleeding to death on the scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For me, I was, when I was reading instructions, I was like, oh, this is going to take a while, right? You're going to prick your finger. You're going to have to like hold your finger and wait until the drop forms and then just dab it on the paper. When I clicked my lancet, um, it hurt. I was like, oh, I'm like, that hurt more than I had expected. And when I like uh, pulled the lancet out, I'm like, oh my God, blood is already like gushing. <laughs> like I have to wipe. And then I, I literally like completed my drops in, it felt like just three <laughs> seconds because my finger was just like <laughs> bleeding. And then yeah. I tried to like stop the bleed. I'm like, oh, but it's kind of like soaking through. <laughs> The gauze. I'm just like, hmm. let me get a get a bandaid and really like tightly uh, uh, like uh, cover it and uh, oh secure it. Uh, it. It was like really fast. <laughs> yeah, mine wasn't that bad, but like it went so quick. Like I was just like, oh, I gotta get it on the paper. I gotta get it on the paper, and I I just made a mess of the whole paper. So I hope that they, I hope the people at the Sinai Hospital are not mad at me. And be like, oh, your your sample sucks. We're not going to use it. Like, I, I do hope it worked. I do. Yeah. Yeah. It, it totally, at least for me now, it totally makes sense for me because mine was a blade. Because, like, I, when I, after I did it, I looked at my finger. I'm like, this wound doesn't look like <laughs> a needle prick. I'm like, it's a line. I'm just like, that's that's weird. <laughs> mine is a so, line, too. It, yeah, it's so strange. I Because I've, I've given blood before, and when they prick your finger, it's nothing. Like, my finger is always nothing, right? Yeah. yeah. Why didn't they why didn't they give us those ones? Instead they gave us like the ones that are gonna kill you. <laughs> As if it's not stressful enough to be a teacher. Maybe they wanted to induce stress. I don't know. It's the stress blood. The stress blood is the best <laughs> for antibody testing. 
Yeah, so now you and I are lab rats, which is pretty cool. I'm I'm interested to find out what my antibodies turn out to be, because uh, they'll send you the results at some point, uh, at least for my yeah. study. Yeah, they'll yeah, look at your me too. I'm, I'm very curious, very curious as to whether I got COVID before. So mm. there's there's only yeah. one potential chance that I would have been infected with COVID is would have been like way in the beginning of the pandemic because I was traveling and I came back and I felt really sick. Like I, I didn't have all the symptoms of COVID, but I definitely had something because it, uh, I basically had to isolate, um, mm-hmm. at the, at the very, very beginning of the pandemic. I remember that I was worried about you. I was like, Oh no, does he have COVID? Oh no. And then, yeah, you came out of it fine. So yeah. Yeah. So who knows? So we'll find out. (laughs) We'll find out if that was COVID or not. I don't think there was a chance for me to get COVID, but it'll be interesting. I'm interested mostly in how my antibodies sort of increase over time because I'll do another test before I get my second vaccine. So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking they're going to look at your sample paper with blood all over, (laughs) send you the results. They'll also send you like a message like, are you okay? You did not follow the instructions. I know, and as a teacher, like that's kind of a pride thing of being able to follow instructions. And it did not turn out well. Yeah, I'm a bad, bad oh. teacher, apparently. Oh. <laughs> or a bad student, because I can't follow directions. I don't know. It's okay. But now we're part of science and that's fun and how awesome. Exactly. So, speaking about science, there's something else that's being, I guess, scientifically studied right now, and it's psychedelics. Woo! <laughs> so today we want to talk about magic mushrooms and <laughs> other fun substances. <laughs> Used so, responsibly, of course. Of course, yes. So, but maybe uh, I think Sherry, you did some research on kind of the history of. legalizing or slash uh, making psychedelics illegal. Yeah. Um, And I have some fun facts. So why don't we start off with a fun fact about uh, legalization of of drugs. Um, In the 1890s, from what I read, um, the Sears and Roebuck catalog offered a syringe and a small amount of cocaine uh, for $1.50. So uh, you could commercially buy drugs at one point in time uh, before it was outlawed. Uh, and smoking opium had the first sort of ban on it, and that was around the 1900s, 1909-ish. And uh, so you could purchase it for medicine, like medicinal uh, uses, but uh, they wanted to make sure that it was taxed and those sorts of things. Um, and so you can't buy it for uh, leisure experiences. Uh, and then and then they had the alcohol prohibition, uh, which followed in 1919. And so obviously that one's well known, the prohibition area, era. And, um, and then later in 1937, you had the Marijuana Tax Act. So they didn't criminalize the possession of it, but um, if you didn't pay your taxes or pay taxes on it, then there was a fine. And it was pretty steep at at that point in time. It was $2,000 and a five-year stint in prison. And then, so that was kind of the beginning of this whole legalization issue around drugs. And we really saw the full brunt of it with Richard Nixon in uh, the 1970s, where he brought into um, into play these this war on drugs is what they call it. Uh, and so drugs were sort of classified into um, five different classifications where, you know, the most dangerous would be, you know, your high risk for addiction and uh, apparently little medical benefits. So things like marijuana, LSD, heroin, MDMA. Um, Can I stop you for a second there, Sherry? Yeah. There are all kinds of racial political connotations to marijuana being one of the class most dangerous drugs and how it's noted by many critics to be part of a process of criminalizing you know, African-American peoples disproportionately to Caucasian peoples. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Uh, and, and that was sort of 
at the time, you know, they that's when they brought this in. And that was in the 70s, right? So you, you've obviously got a lot of that uh, racial bias and, and things like that. Um, and so um, they were trying to target uh, specific people in this and their their fines mm-hmm. and their their sentencing was really really like severe uh even just for marijuana which we've seen i mean we've only really seen the uh legalization of it in the last you know um 5 years or so in north america so um yeah so uh they wanted to they want i mean it it sort of insinuated that the nixon uh administration wanted to target like you said um the black people and the uh left sort of left leaning individuals mm-hmm. um and so one of uh nixon's campaign former campaign persons said um we knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war, the war or black, but by mm-hmm. getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. And so this was somebody who was previously in that administration uh, who sort of spoke out later on. So it's it's sort of assumed, like you can't, I guess you can't go back and prove it or whatever, but it is assumed that the war on drugs really started with this war on Black people and on, you know, left leftist hippie mm-hmm. kind of people, mm-hmm. right? Because you see a lot of backlash. Because I think the other, yeah, the other data point would be, I mean, there are lots of other controlled substances that cause many more deaths. Like at that time, I'm sure alcohol would have contributed to lots of, uh, you know, uh, uh, car accidents, things like Mm -hmm. that. But it's, it wasn't like made illegal. Alcohol wasn't made illegal. We know uh, smoking Mm -hmm. uh, causes a lot of uh, health issues and cancer. And while they've put in restrictions, it wasn't, it wasn't a arrestable offense <laughs> to be caught smoking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that was around the time where you have uh, these hippies who are speaking out against like Vietnam war and things like that. And so they are, you know, in direct opposition with the Nixon administration. And so therefore you're getting, you know, this pushback and, and they just decided to go about it in a way that was a little bit sneakier. Right. Um. Yeah, and all of their sort of racist agenda and things like that that comes with, you know, the Republican Party. Um, yeah, and the mushrooming of the police state. Like, police became such a much more heavily funded agency after mm-hmm. the war on drugs. Yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of how, like, this big push to get all of those drugs um, to be made illegal uh, and to see them in such a negative light uh, and then I don't know, I'm sure you two remember uh, in the 80s and, and, it, and it filtered into the 90s as well, um, which is why you probably know it because uh, we are 90s children. Um, but President Ronald Reagan had the Just Say No campaign. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all remember the Just Say No campaign <laughs> uh, to highlight the dangers of drug use. Was that... Uh... Was that Ronald or was that Nancy Reagan's brainchild? I thought she was the main Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, it was Nancy. You're you're correct there. It was Nancy mm-hmm. Reagan. Um, yeah, it was his sort of time as president. And then she, uh, as first lady, her push was uh, the Just Say No campaign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. All those cheesy, cheesy advertisements, which like 100% did not work. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a kid, I didn't even know, you know what mind-altering substances were so it's just like okay cool i i won't do that or i just won't care what you're saying and move on to playing with my toys like whatever (laughs) yeah 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 so that's kind of our history around these these drugs being criminalized and a lot of it like there's a lot of entrenched racism and things like that especially (laughs) when you think about um like i briefly read about how cocaine, if you uh, have it in like a crack formation, uh, you get um, penalized heavier 
than if it was in the powdered formation. Uh, and so they found, because, you know, um, they've, they found looking back, a lot more black people had the crack uh, formation versus white people having the powdered version. And, um, and so it can be insinuated now looking back on history saying, well, like that's probably why yeah. there were differences between these drug um, versions and, and the type of sentencing that you get. Yeah, totally. With hindsight, you're like, I don't see a whole lot of chemical compositional difference between these two, but the social implications of heavily criminalizing one and not the other sure does look suspicious when we, we look at it from now. Mm-hmm. And now that um, marijuana has been legalized in several regions, um, you can see there's a potential kind of shift happening in the discussion around some of these drugs as well. So, for example, uh, last year in Oregon, they were the first state to also legalize the therapeutics of some of these uh psychedelic kind of uh, compounds. So even the U.S., now that uh, marijuana has been legal in several states, uh, the the trend is now moving towards kind of other drugs uh, like these psychedelics. So uh, while the U.S. is also kind of shifting that way, maybe to give a context around Canada, uh, Health Canada has actually begun kind of approving some uses of these, especially for patients that are uh, near the end of life, mm-hmm. um, where potentially these uh, drugs could help kind of those patients kind of cope with anxiety uh, around their cancer treatment or kind of impending death. So uh, Health Canada has kind of approved 24 of these kind of applications, uh, usually for terminally, terminally ill patients. And so when someone is terminally ill, uh, they can get a one-year exemption in order to kind of use these drugs and actually even to um, essentially grow them. A lot of these drugs come from mushrooms, so they can grow them and actually administer these drugs uh, to kind of cope with whatever whatever condition they have in terms of... Uh, really, a lot of it has to do with kind of in- the anxiety of uh, facing death. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it seems like things are kind of moving towards that. And, of course, there's uh, several pros and cons, but uh, it sounds like, at least from a political perspective, uh, things are kind of moving towards legalization. How do you, uh, my faithful podcast companions, feel about the move towards legalization? Personally, I'm fairly libertarian on this front, and I I would be welcoming and embracing of uh, legalization, but... I'm sure there's a downside too. That uh, yeah, I'm I'm all about the tax revenue. Just <laughs> tax it <laughs> and pay for things. But no, uh, really, I mean, a lot of these psychedelic compounds. There's always going to be pros and cons. Pros and cons in terms of um, potential like health outcomes. Like with any substance, there's always the pros and cons of mm-hmm. uh, potential health outcomes. But you know, maybe we'll start with kind of the cons, but, you know, some of these drugs could potentially induce psychosis for people with right. underlying uh, mental health disorders. But ultimately, uh, I think really right now there's a lot of kind of studies going on on how some of these medication or some of these uh, psychedelic uh, compounds can be used as medicine. You know, when we look at the history of medicine, there there have been many compounds out there that are natural, uh, naturally occurring that we have now commercialized into a medication. So um, if I recall, like acetaminophen, I mean, it, it's a pain reliever that you could buy off the shelf. But I mean, that came from a plant <laughs> and uh, it was because healers way back in the day would use it as a pain relief. And now we've commercialized it into a drug. So uh, to me, I don't really see any issue with why uh, we wouldn't legalize it. Um, I, I think there needs to be uh, some science behind it in terms of uh, to what extent if a drug was addictive. Okay, we should probably con- yeah. 
probably put some restrictions on that, similar to like opioids, right? Because opioids are extremely addictive, um, but it's naturally occurring. Um, or uh, certain components of it can be found in naturally occurring plants. But uh, ultimately, I feel like a, a scientific approach to uh, you know what is uh, what can be purchased from the average consumer versus prescription would need to be in place. Mm-hmm. Very similar to like marijuana, right? Marijuana in Canada, you can buy it as a as an legal adult, but but still, there's certain medications or drugs that you can't purchase by yourself, and you need a doctor's prescription. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Um, just to jump back, because I saw something about the how it has the potential to induce uh, schizophrenia and disorders like that as well. Do you think uh, if there's a chance that you say, and this is even for microdosing, if you wanted to start experimenting with these sorts of drugs, assuming they were legal, that that would be the the one that you would go to to seek a medical advice on and you know assess the risk that you might uh, have a trigger that could lead to something like that? I feel like that should be the same for any drug i mean if i in a in an ideal world you would be able to have this conversation with your doctor to mm-hmm. actually kind of assess your risk uh, to me like any type of substance you take there's always going to be some kind of risk that you need to evaluate uh whether it is marijuana or these psychedelics there's always some kind of risk um uh, i think there's been kind of research around even like for example marijuana on uh, brain development so there's some potential risk there but i think it's to me it's almost up to the individual to kind of assess okay is this risk something i'm willing to accept or mm-hmm. not there's risk in everything that we do in terms of medication like even birth control you can get blood clots right And that is something that is widely used. So I think it's definitely, and I remember sort of when I went on birth control about that conversation that I had with my doctor about, okay, like um, there are risks of blood clots, but, you know, I believe that you are very low risk because of these Mm -hmm. factors. And so that's like, that's a conversation to have with your doctor about what they think uh, as well, like your risk is uh, because they have a lot more knowledge than, you know, the average person. And so, yeah, so I think like there's risk in everything. And and I don't think because there is a risk of that, it should deter us from the benefits that those drugs can sort of provide. Yeah. I think we should also keep in mind that the the research in this is actually pretty early mm-hmm. right now, uh, just because of the fact that a lot of these dr- uh, substances have been illegal, which has essentially made it difficult for any academic uh, researcher to actually do research around this. So uh, given the fact that now things are kind of trending towards legalization, uh, there's, number one, more research now going into it to help us uh, with some more informed, uh, make some more informed decisions about the different risk. And there's also kind of more funding in place as well. Um, So uh, previously, uh, the fact that it was illegal basically meant that there's not a lot of research money going into it uh, because there's no money to be made. Uh, <laughs> and then since there wasn't any money going to research, then obviously no one's really going to research kind of what are the um, the risks associated with uh, some of these substances. Mm-hmm. I haven't, uh, you know, obviously I've never brought this question up to a doctor, but if something is an illegal or controlled substance like say LSD or, or mushrooms or something, can you ask your doctor in Canada like about the potential risks and benefits to you? Do you think, like, I'm not sure if there's an answer to this, but how do you think they'd react to that? I feel like they would try to uh, influence you to not do it, <laughs> but that's only because there is no research around it, right? Like, I, I don't think a doctor would be able to say, oh, I learned this in med, in med school, <laughs> and I know exactly, you know, all the risks associated with LSD and MDNA. Like, it's not part of the repertoire of drugs to <laughs> to learn about, right? Yeah. Fair. Yeah. 
But I mean, so it goes back to, I think ultimately this funding thing where uh, because there's no funding around it, there's really no data around it. Um, but given the recent changes in attitude, now there's actually a lot of money being funneled into researching uh, these psychedelics, uh, primarily because there's also now several startup companies that have <laughs> decided that uh, these psychedelics are the next marijuana. <laughs> so there's lots of, and we know kind of the marijuana uh, industry has kind of blossomed uh, due to legalization. So uh, I'll maybe talk about uh, one company I ran into. Uh, do not take this as investment advice. I do not own any stock in this company. Uh, and I don't advise anyone to like buy the stock. This, this is the company. next GameStop. Kenny's um, getting us going. Oh, but it's funny that you mentioned GameStop because uh, this company was uh, boosted by Wall Street bets. Oh. Uh, so hmm. but I, did, I, did, I did do a lot of research on this company uh, because of the attention from Wall Street Bets. And I kind of reviewed kind of their investor deck uh, that they provide to investors. Um, so this company is MindMed. Um, and so Wall Street Bets, they kind of uh, uh, claim that, you know, this company is, quote, unquote, it's going to the moon. <laughs> so. Um, so that essentially drove the stock price up. So they went from I think like point of like five cent per share all the way to like four dollars a share or something. I mean that that basically means insane amount of uh, money uh, that a investor would have made if they had previously purchased stock uh, before Wall Street bets kind of drove the stock price up. But look at the company. Uh, it's one thing to note, even though the stock price is so high, this company's not making any money. <laughs> Last year, they lost $35 million. And in just the first quarter of this year, they lost $14 million. They're actually losing more money over time. <laughs> than, uh, but, but still, their stock price is crazy because people have uh, decided that uh, this company is going to be the future and the we should throw. Uh, they now have essentially made a billion dollars in investment from shareholders, even though they are losing money every single quarter. <laughs> the stock so, market is anyways, so wild. I don't understand yeah. it at all. Well, it's, it, it's speculation. People are speculating that this company is going to be like wildly profitable in the future and they're, you know, uh, throwing money into this company right now, um, even though it honestly doesn't seem like it makes sense. But again, I'm not here to give investment <laughs> advice. You can make your own decisions. <laughs> um, but it's in, so this company, they are focused on solving some of these mental health problems um, that, you know, from their view, there's it's a 40 billion dollar market to treat anxiety, ADHD and to treat a depression and uh, withdrawal from some of these addictive drugs out there, like uh, opium, for example. Mm -hmm. So what this company is doing is they are actually uh, very similar to what we talked about in the past around like these vaccine trials. They're actually doing clinical trials with uh, various uh, psychedelic compounds. And, you know, they're taking a group of people, they... We'll have a placebo group and then a, a dosage group, and they're actually evaluating and comparing um, kind of the outcomes. So, for example, uh, they have a platform on opium uh, withdrawal. So, they the hypothesis is there's a psychedelic compound called 18MC. It uh, regulates the dopamine of uh, patients. So, they have three cohorts that they're, that they're testing. Uh, 32 patients in each cohort. One has high dose of this, one has low dose, and then one's a placebo control group. Um, so they're underway kind of uh, testing, can they use this uh, psychedelic compound to actually help patients kind of detox from opiate? Uh, so so this trial is going on. Um, 
they're looking at if everything works out well and uh, there's good outcomes that this uh, the psychedelic would be approved by 2025 as a uh, treatment option for people. It would it would be prescribed. It wouldn't be you know everyone gets access to this, <laughs> um, but it's basically it's going to be prescribed. It's going to be in a controlled setting uh, to help kind of wean people off of. Uh, uh, opioids. So interesting. Yeah. So so they're they're look, looking at you know various trials and uh, trying to s- see whether uh, they can actually get approved by doing this double blind, right? This placebo and and this uh, actual dosage group, very similar to like a vaccine development. It's it's good that they're actually able to do it that way. I read a lot of instances where you know because we're talking about drugs that are illegal. Your typical clinical controlled settings experiment isn't possible, and so a lot of the studies are relying on just survey type of data, self-reports from people who send the data into the researchers. But this sounds much more experimental and you know, better. Yeah, and there's um, an interesting uh, point about uh, doing this double-blind kind of study. Um, so, for example, for the placebo group, it it's very easy to tell that you have not been dosed by magic mushrooms, right? <laughs> In a placebo group, if you're getting a placebo, you're kind of, I don't feel anything. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's harder to do these type of uh, controlled trials because you literally, the placebo group is not going to feel anything. <laughs> so, um, so I think that's why they have this like low dose group as well to try to, mm-hmm. can we like trick people into like feeling something? <laughs> Uh, and then and then we'll kind of evaluate the outcomes based on that. Yeah, there's a lot of ethical sort of issues when you're looking at um, at studies and things like that. Like I don't know if you two have either of you have heard of MK Ultra, the study that happened <laughs> with the CIA where they were um, uh, dosing people with LSD, and the people often did not know that they were being dosed, and so they were looking at it as like a mind control, um, <laughs> torture sort of thing. Uh, and this was back in when was it? Oh, the sixties, and and so I mean there were huge ethical guidelines that were breached there, although the ethical guidelines weren't in place, but. Uh, because the participants didn't know that they were in the studies, but that would obviously be, you know, uh, a better way of going about testing these things because you could give, you know, bigger doses instead of that <laughs> tiny dose. But <laughs> but like testing people without their knowledge is is not good at all. Um, and and there, I think that's some of the reasons why there hasn't been a lot of funding into research for these sorts of drugs because how are you going to do conduct that kind of experiment? without uh, breaching these ethical guidelines. Mm-hmm. And I think the public lost a lot of trust in it, too. Yeah, I will point out this, um, this opioid withdrawal trial that's underway right now. Uh, they, are, they have recruited people that are uh, you know, looking to kind of go through the detox from opioids. So they've recruited a group of people that are willing participants <laughs> and uh, will, will want to actually... Uh, randomly be selected into one of these three cohorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the research that's done now is is a lot more ethically done. Um, but I, I think that has been an impediment to some of the research, you know, that's being done now uh, or wanted to be done over many, many years is because, you know, it was it was misused in the past. And and it can be difficult to do these kinds of experiments um, ethically. Yeah, like say the government came out with a new LSD experiment. Who wants to sign up for that? <laughs> I know Kenny and I are all into the um, the science uh, experimentation stuff, so we might sign up. <laughs> I, I will if it's for science. I'll do almost anything. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I think it's interesting there's like a lot of money being funneled into uh companies now lots of startups that are uh out there there there's a canadian company uh called field trip health that's a a very odd name but anyways (laughs) they now trade on the new york stock exchange they've raised like 150 million dollars to 
finance uh, ketamine trials. Oh! <laughs> and there's another one, uh, Compass Pathways, uh, that raised $240 million um, that are uh, basically doing trials on magic mushrooms for uh, treatment-resistant depression. So, uh, yeah, lots of companies kind of in this space now. Uh, but I, I, I feel like this could be just very similar to what's gonna happen, what's happening right now in the marijuana industry, where you have like all these startups, all these people putting lots of money into marijuana, and then they realize that oh, actually, um, it's difficult to actually make money <laughs> uh, selling marijuana and medications, and tons of these like marijuana companies are losing lots and lots of money and having to be like sold off and uh, things like that. So I was kind of shocked by that because I know there there was a marijuana store nearby me and they sort of are gone now. Um, and yeah, so so it's interesting. Like I thought that the marijuana industry was just like, there's no touching it. It's going to be huge. It's going to make so much money. Um, but there's definitely some some issues there as well, I guess. Um, yeah. To be honest, I honestly feel like it's a supply-demand issue. I think people, number one, overestimated the demand, mm-hmm. and then they pumped so much supply. There's so many stores. Like, you look around you know, our city, there's so many, like, dispensaries, and then there's so many companies manufacturing or growing marijuana that's, like, people saw the opportunity, and then everyone tried to get into the market. And we have so many people trying to get into the market. Like it, it, the market has been saturated. Like there's there's only so many people on the planet <laughs> <laughs> that you could give marijuana to. <laughs> it's kind of a, a little bit of counter evidence too to the whole war on drugs narrative that oh this is a gateway drug. As soon as they have a taste of the marijuana, they're just gonna spread like wildfire. Everybody's gonna be using the drug. Everyone's gonna be high. <laughs> yeah, not so much apparently in our natural experiment we've conducted. Why did people ever buy into that narrative? It's such a weird narrative. I, it's wrapped up with a lot of traditionalist values of what a person should be. And I, I don't have a, a perfect answer for it, but it's also a way to persecute a particular group of people, which a lot of racially motivated people get on board with. But like, a lot of factors. I remember being in health class. I don't know about either of you, but like I remember being in health class and told like this is a gateway drug, marijuana is a gateway drug, and so then I got scared. Like their whole their whole thing back in the nineties was to scare us straight, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it kind of worked for me because I I'm I'm like a bit of a worry wart to start with, <laughs> and yeah. so like I bought into this idea that. You know, if I try marijuana even once, it is a slippery slope to then Locked in <laughs> all of the other stuff. And like, yeah, that fear kind of sticks with you for for a long time until I tried it. And then, yep. you know, this nothing is nothing. Happened. <laughs> <laughs> and now, Sherry, you're on your way to LSD and heroin <laughs> and meth. Yeah. You're on I, the way. Oh, no. I only tried marijuana when it was legal, so I'm going to wait until the LSD is legal. <laughs> well, you know, Kenny, it's funny that you should bring that up because, you know, you gave us a nice dose of the uh, business side of the model. I kind of looked more at the, the consumer side of the model. And if a person was going to try some of the more heavy-end drugs recreationally, how would they go about it? And so that's how I came upon microdosing. So the idea of microdosing is you have people who are taking, you know, these big name psychedelics, but they're taking it in quantities that are too small to produce actually perceptible effects. Like they're only taking five, 10% of a standard dose. So because you're taking so little, you actually aren't going to hallucinate on the hallucinogenic drugs, but there's something going on that people feel is making a positive difference in their lives. Like this all started with, uh, the idea that it was a job enhancer for people working in Silicon Valley, how they thought they needed to uh, harness the creative potential of psychedelic drugs and uh, use that to be more productive workers. So 
I looked into some of the reported effects that people said they were feeling. And then I also, because I thought it would be fun, looked at some of the reported uh, effects that co-workers who were working alongside someone who was microdosing reported about the person who was microdosing. <laughs> Interesting. Ooh. Yeah, I know. Okay. Tantalizing bits. No, so no, wait no. For that I'm, one. <laughs> I'm so interested. I'm ready for this. Okay, tell us. <laughs> Okay, so starting with LSD, I'm going to start with what the people who took it were reporting that they felt. Yeah. So they described a boost in energy, focus, and feeling that life was meaningful. That sounds good, right? Okay. Okay. All right. Mushrooms. Very pleasant. Moving on to magic mushrooms. Uh, about an hour or two after ingesting their microdose, people noticed an increase in focus and energy, uh, but many users find that it helps with weaning off and staying off of antidepressants. So perhaps a replacement for uh, our typical pharmacy-approved drugs that we have right now. Of course, you'd want to investigate you know, side effects, pros and cons to each to, before you say, yes, mushroom's better than this particular pharmacy-approved drug. I don't want to jump on a bandwagon and just say better because newer. Um, moving on to cannabis. Cannabis in a microdose has been found to be helpful in a variety of physical ailments, chronic pain, nausea, inflammation, indigestion, fibromyalgia, and PTSD. All the potheads in my life can uh, attest to that. They're all up on that sort of research and love to throw it at me every time I'm in their company. Well, CBD oil is quite the fad right now. Uh, where people are getting CBD oil for, you know, pain and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it works or not. But, it, but I don't think it does anything, right? There's no, like, like effects like or registrable effect. No, I think that the, um, the uh, agent in it, I forget what it's called, um, the, the psycho... Uh, well, it's, it's THC that's actually THC, like... Yes. Uh, I think the THC yeah. agent in it is is very negligible. Uh, so I don't know if this is all pe in people's heads, but it definitely has a market if we're talking about the market. I've never really had the inclination to try these things. Have either of you tried uh, CBD or anything for... Like, oh, we CBD all have pain. I have. We've all got pain in our lives that you know could perhaps a difference could be made. You've tried CBD oil? Yeah. Uh, to be honest, it I didn't really feel anything. <laughs> so, okay. but did you feel less pain? Uh, <laughs> I don't think there was any difference for me. No. <laughs> no. Well, that's disappointing. So. <laughs> but I, at least I, I didn't. I've never seen like any compelling studies that actually show like CBD is effective on anything. But maybe I'm wrong. It may, it might just work differently for different people too. Like we all have our own biochemical makeups. Moving along my list, we have DMT, and this user said it brings users to a place of introspection, and as one frequent microdoser put it cuts out anything that isn't serving me in the present moment so I can just enjoy being. And rounding out my list, we've got ketamine. Some users report feeling a physical high and a de decrease in physical sensation. If you have pain in your knees, one user says, you're not going to feel that on a microdose of ketamine. Also eases stress and depression. I feel like the issue with some of these drugs is that they are cure-alls. So they cure everything. You got something wrong, it's going to get rid of it. And I, I don't think that it works that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm noticing that's that too. The only, that's the only thing I, um, I wouldn't say worry, but uh, the one thing I, at least I think we should make people realize is there's, there's a lot of potential like pseudoscience that kind of falls along with it. And uh, I'll, I'll talk about an example I found uh, later, but maybe, Rory, if you want to continue. I, I'm curious as to, like, the other side. <laughs> definitely want to get to those, and we'll be to them in a second. But I, I totally agree with you that it does kind of come off sounding like a silver bullet a lot of these times. And I think that's a problem that's woven into self-reported survey data is you're surveying people who are taking this, microdosing on a continuous basis. They obviously believe in it. And so there's also a part of them that probably wants to believe in it, too. And so they're going to give you the most flowery and exceptional version of whatever they actually are experiencing. 
Yeah. So maybe I'll, um, while I was like researching this, it Google and YouTube is very good at seeing what I'm doing online because they literally floated up a video <laughs> while I was researching of someone who um, recently tried um, tried the toad. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. No, <laughs> it's never this the toad in Mexico that. Uh, has secretions. Is this like Simpsons where Homer compound. was licking toads? And yeah. This is exactly <laughs> like Simpsons. It is exactly like it. So he had uh, taken a dose of, uh, it's called a 5-MeO-DMT. So it comes from a toad. Uh, he smoked it. And it just, when I was listening to him talk about it, everything he said screams pseudoscience. Like, it's just like... I, I, you cannot listen to people like this. It, you know, I'll, I'll quote him. Uh, when you smoke this uh, substance, you lift the veil. <laughs> if you're struggling with addictive behavior, anxiety, I seriously recommend you research the spiritual medicine. <laughs> the pharmaceutical industry is not going to help you. It, they have you know, compounds that are complex and harmful for your body. <laughs> but this... You know, toad is <laughs> natural and benign. It takes you on a journey to your deepest self. This is more significant than the atom bomb. It's a doorway to enlightenment. There's a gateway to the real dimension all around us that you can't perceive. Oh my goodness. What, what does that even mean? <laughs> This sounds borderline cultish with this much fervent belief in the powers of the toad. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, oh, don't, please, people, don't, don't lick the toad. <laughs> it's how, I feel like it's how I've heard people describe ayahuasca as well, where they ingest some sort of, I don't know what it is exactly, uh, liquid that puts them on a trip, um, and it's supposed to cure all of these things and you're supposed to sort of go into this other dimension. And, and yeah, if you have addiction issues, you'll come out, you know, with those resolved. And yeah, it's it's nuts. Like, yeah, it's too much, too much. I don't think one yeah. drug could do all of that. And I don't think that's the case as well. In, in the research, a lot of these um, uh, companies that are doing you know, using psychedelics in these clinical trials, it's always the uh, psychedelic drug plus counseling, for example. Mm. It's a combination of uh, these two things that uh, they're using to treat patients. It, it's never uh, viewed as, you know, this magic drug that will suddenly solve all of your problems. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you have depression, if you have anxiety, if you're suffering from PTSD, it's combination of kind of medication counseling there are all these toolkits that that are utilized to help people kind of cope with some of their uh, mental health issues it's never a you know these psychedelics are never used as some kind of like wonder drug that immediately solves everyone's problems yeah and i'm noticing a lot it's it's wrapped up in the distrust of the pharmaceutical companies and the overpricing of you know traditional medications that we have been using and so it makes it sound like such a better option where you can pursue this alternative. But if it actually worked the way they described, then why don't all of us have this uh, magical secretion toad as a pet in our house and you know, have <laughs> one of those in a yoga mat and just give it a lick and sit and meditate once every day and you'll be good for life. Like, oh, that's so exactly. not hygienic. And the other thing is just, just because it's natural doesn't mean it's not dangerous. I mean, yeah. if you licked a, you know, a poisonous jellyfish, yeah. <laughs> the jellyfish is still natural. <laughs> this is the thing. We romanticize the natural so much that uh, it can be a pitfall for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Rory, tell us, these coworkers, what did they you say? You can wait no longer. <laughs> I, are, you, are you done? Because I'm just, I'm, I'm just sitting on eggshells here waiting. I'm happy to enlighten you because I thought this was a delightful study from yes. uh, this, this particular person. He works in a, in a newsroom, so probably a bit of a high-stress uh, work environment to begin with where there's deadlines, there's going to be people snapping at one another. So we'll start off with, uh, he was microdosing shrooms. So colleague review number one from the shrooms experiment. Oh, sorry. Before you begin, did the colleagues know that their, their other yeah. colleague? Okay. Yeah, so, it was. So this is like, okay. It was known that he was doing something. So yeah, there is still the possibility that there 
their prejudices might have invaded too of how they thought he was going to react to this but let's not let that get in the way of the fun well that's why i think this is interesting to hear kind of how people's prejudices get in the way but i'm so ready tell us all right so when he was on shrooms colleague review he seemed extra limber of body mind and spirit physically that manifested as an extra jaunty step and a carefree bounce as he moved around the office he dealt with stressful situations better and reacted well to other people's ideas at times he sometimes snaps back. But then the other colleagues simply reported he was surly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so not conclusive in terms of a net positive? or <laughs> I guess, I guess. I mean, I really feel like the one person is almost, you know, recounting some of those things that we've heard as benefits of mushrooms about how he's he's lightened up, he's carefree, he's floating around the office and so much more pleasant. I love that they put the little dig at the end. Were about they how also he... on the same <laughs> <laughs> medication? Not that I know of. The article doesn't cut that, include that. But I love the little dig at the end about how he, he snaps back usually, but he didn't when he was on shrooms. <laughs> uh, moving next. Cannabis. He was spinning his wheels and getting nowhere. He seemed to be working, but he never had anything to show for it. At one point, he yelled at me for half an hour about something he was definitely wrong about before coming up with his own workable solution. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. All that from a microdose of cannabis. I mean, I've definitely had people yell at me for an hour for something they're <laughs> totally wrong about. Uh, so maybe they were on cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> were they also enormously unproductive, despite seeming like they were working? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems to me like they were totally unproductive, so. <laughs> but wait, there is another review for his uh, cannabis experiment. All and right. that person said that he was surprisingly pleasant handed me a book about po body-positive yoga in a nice way. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know what that means exactly, handing you a book in a nice way. I guess you could be mean about it. But, you just uh, shove the book You could them. throw. Read there's also book the book on yoga! <laughs> well, there's also the content, right? It's body-positive yoga, so I, it makes me wonder whether this person was struggling with body image issues and he found a nice way to present potentially helpful material i don't know he didn't just walk up at fix yourself you and need drops this the book <laughs> looks like you can use some work oh, no. <laughs> all right next we have lsd a microdose of lsd sounds crazy right With lsd being you know the big bad that we learned about in those uh, just say no to drugs types of things from our childhood but according to the colleagues he kind of seemed to be surfing his own wave. He didn't react strongly in a positive or negative way to anything going on around him, just kind of coasting along in his own little bubble. Colleague number two says, There was slightly less crosstalk in the office during this phase, generally indicating a higher level of productivity. But on Friday, author name, had a small meltdown about an impending deadline for his project, so it may have all been a charade. <laughs> So these results don't feel very conclusive. <laughs> there does seem to be like uh, a bit of contradiction between the different reports, which I, I find additionally interesting how different people are seeing his behavior in different ways yeah. or they're weaving in their own interactions with him and whether he was mean or nice to them that day to extrapolate or having answer. a meltdown. Yeah. About, <laughs> You know, is it due to this drug because they knew that the drug thing was going on? Ready for DMT? This is the last mm -hmm. one that we have in this uh, review, and it's fairly, fairly brief. All I know is he took this weird Instagram-type picture under a bridge and posted it to Facebook. This is very out of character. <laughs> <laughs> but the last review is in a good mood with a desire to explore. <laughs> okay so the negatives of dmt are just weird instagram pictures <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
under a bridge. Very I out of love character. With that. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. So yeah, fun times. I I thought it was really interesting though because I don't know if I ever would experiment with these types of potentially hallucinogenic drugs. But microdosing, if you were to actually, you know, try it, would probably be the way you'd want to do it and just see if there's some non-perceptible benefit. Like, and this is what led me to look for the colleague reviews. It's non-perceptible to the person, but does that just mean that they are more pleasant and uplifted and everybody around them's noticing, but they don't know because it's so subtle and, you know, just a slight modification to their character. But then the reviews are... Go ahead, Sherry. Sorry. I find microdosing really interesting because I, uh, and I can't recall where I heard this story, but it was definitely a news story in Canada that was talking about people who are trying to recover from addiction from, you know, these, these types of drugs. And they were, there's a program that they got into where they're being microdosed and it allows them to actually be productive during their day and have a job and, um, it's turned around their lives and things like that. So even if it is only in people's heads, like, you know, what is yeah. the harm, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why it would be so great if, you know, some legalization or at least an expansion of research and experimentation, you know, to include humans, of course. I think animal trials are already going on for for mood effects and anxiety reduction of these types of drugs. But to actually, you know, allow it to happen in humans and to see if, you know, people who are dealing with withdrawal symptoms coming off of something else and this helps them in some way and whether there is a a scientific link that I'll never understand, not being a biochemist. But if there is something in there, then yeah, pursue that and make life better for humanity. As humanists, yeah. that's what we want. I, mean, I, I don't see why we wouldn't be, you know, continuing to research this. We know there are so many drugs that, you know, come from nature and we might as well kind of uh, try to exploit mm-hmm. uh, what nature has provided. Um, but it goes back to I. I really would hate it if more people uh, kind of positioned it with the pseudoscience, you know, BS <laughs> around. Uh, it will solve everything, and it's a gateway it will to eternity. Open, <laughs> it's a gateway to a, a, the real dimension or whatever. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. <laughs> well, this is what please the... no 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 more of that that woo. <laughs> This is what the guy who uh, was experiencing the drugs in the colleague uh, review article said that he had previously tried mushrooms, but the only thing that he'd noticed was uh, looked staring into a corner of a, a house. The wall would alternate between being concave and convex. And so, you know, it's not. I don't know if I don't know if I would like that. I like my reality to stay fixed. <laughs> I don't like my reality altered. <laughs> yeah, this would be a hurdle for me too because I very much prize being in full control of my perceptions. So the idea of losing some of that control is kind of frightening to me. Yeah, that's same, the same here. For I'm, me. I'm the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I find it interesting that that we all kind of feel that way. Um, that's like one of the big reasons. Like, I don't drink very much uh, because I feel like you lose control of uh, certain things and, and you start to perceive things differently. And so I don't like that feeling of losing control. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's really sort of guided me in, in my life and my experience with drugs in general, including alcohol. Um, yeah, so I find it interesting that, that you folks also feel that way. I kind of thought it was just me that I was just like very nope. control freak about my life and... But we yeah. gotta wonder. No, I I like to be in control as well, or uh, sorry, in my own personal control, right? Like mm-hmm. I want to be able to know that the decisions I'm making right now, I'm making it from a sound mind, and I'm not losing it. Yeah, from your own baseline, with no yeah chemical stimulants uh, influencing you one way or another. Yeah, I agree, mm-hmm. but. It does bring you back to microdosing where it's completely imperceptible and, you know, may have subtle positive benefits we don't know about. 
that people yeah. are self-reporting I, like crazy. I feel like at that, yeah, at that point, I mean, this still feels like it needs more study because, you know, when it comes to microdosing, because you're using lower concentrations, I think there's a question of how much effect does it actually have? And yeah. which is why, you know, these placebo controlled trials would be uh, helpful to try to understand, okay, if you have like absolutely nothing <laughs> versus a little bit of something, yeah. do you have at- different outcomes? Yeah. And not just dose, but scheduling too. I should mention that yeah. as well. Because yeah, if you take a microdose five times a day, hey, look at that. You're up to a <laughs> higher dose. A full dose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All I learned today is uh, don't lick toads. That's important. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they've been thoroughly researched, those toads. (laughs) Also, people in the workplace will definitely see you differently if they find out that you are uh, (laughs) (laughs) microdosing. They're going to read it through a particular filter. Absolutely. And that there is a nice way to give somebody a book about body positive yoga. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And you just have to... You you might just need some substances to help. (laughs) To unlock that right way. The proper way to do it. (laughs) Okay, well, that's it for me. So thanks everyone for listening. (laughs) Hope everybody enjoyed (laughs) Hope everyone enjoyed Just say no. (laughs) Just say no. Okay, thanks. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Till next time.